questions that don't have clear answers, issues that can't be resolved through logical analysis, and moments in our lives that can't be engaged with and understood on one's own. Welcome to Ajar, an experiment in collaborative meaning-making with author and professor Joan Ball, strategist Rebecca Taylor, and artist and educator A.M. Bott. This monthly podcast follows weekly Substack articles, one from each member of Ajar, on a topic that is at once timeless and, given where we are in the world, of immediate concern. This month's topic is Uncertain Transitions. So how would you both like to start? <laughs> Not with ASMR, please. <laughs> So it's 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 my experience in um, kind of building stuff, creating stuff that at a certain point there's enough ground underneath it that it can start to feel like okay, this is what we're doing. You can kind of lose some version of the exploration that got you started because it's like this is what we're doing, and it becomes you know it it, it organically naturally starts to create its own structure, you know, its own groove. So that's kind of where I am in 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 this conversation about uncertain transitions where you can almost think about this whole first quarter, this whole first three months as a, as an uncertain transition into something that we don't know what other than it's a collaboration, right? And then some broad anchors we put into the ground, Substack, et cetera. And what's interesting is three months in now and, and with the kind of community that's you know, gotten very heavily leaned in and, and contributing and, and, and involved, you know, not, not leaned in from, you know, just, just reading, but actually involved that um, I think what's present for me is, is um, the little bits of certainty that are seeping in to this experiment. And that's not a good or a bad thing, um, but I'm just, I, I, it's a random place to start the conversation. But um, that's part of what's present right now is this kind of the, the uncertain transition of whatever the hell it is we're building, creating, um, has some certainty slowly sleeping into it. What is it? I, I'm, I'm curious what you view as the certainty. What comes to mind when you when you are present to that in that way? Yeah, yeah, and and again, certainty. I mean, you know, if you, if you, if, you, if for folks who read or listened to this last month's worth of you know articles and and uh, social audio rooms, you know, it can sound like a pejorative, it's not like a negative when I say certainty. I don't mean it that way. I just mean some things have ground to them that before before didn't have ground, right? And so, kind of an expectation around what those uh, uh, Thursday rooms will be. We, we now have a, a regularity, right? We, you know, we meet at, at, at the first Saturday of every month in this exact room, right? And so there's a pattern to it, right? And so um, that, that, that creates a certain kind of ground. Just even the substack alone, the fact that, I mean, we knew we were doing it, but the fact that we've done it now 10 weeks or whatever it is uh, consecutively creates a certain ground underneath it, right? It creates a certain, um, it begins to form a loose certainty, right? It begins to form ground. It's funny because I don't view it that way mm. because I didn't know that we meet the first Saturday of every month. It's certainly not in my calendar for the first Saturday of every month. It's that we every month determine a date, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't have that routine in my mind. Maybe I missed the memo on that. But uh, And then the same goes for even I don't know that I have an expectation of what that room will be on Thursdays, I think. It's right. So or not even expectation, even a sense of it. So it may be that I'm thinking about I'm not saying that um, what you're saying isn't accurate. It's just not how I think about it at all. 
And even I think sometimes we talk about like, oh, maybe this is the month that we should, you know, record two podcasts or maybe this is the month that we should, you know what I mean? Like for me, it feels much less, um, much less grounded than what you just described. So, so you're, you're speaking to it you know, from an a priori standpoint, and I, I agree that there is no structure to it a priori. There is no agenda. You didn't get the memo because it wasn't a memo. I'm saying in hindsight, when you look back, by its nature, there's ground to it, right? By its nature, there is a reliable every Monday for eight weeks, a thing has come out, right? By its nature, every month on a Saturday, we've gotten together, right? And so this is the way, you know, sort of organizational systems get, get, get embedded is um, the pattern emerges, even if no one's planning it, and sometimes people are planning it. And um, the thing over time does become just ritualized. And, you know, even if nobody says first Saturday, it just organically, you look back after three months, like, oh, shit, we met every first Saturday, right? Um, we didn't necessarily agree that we'd post Monday. We said once a week we'd post. But you look back, and it's like, yep, Monday to the point where it becomes a default or of, of, of you know, we've said, you know, if you don't feel like posting on Monday, post on Tuesday, assumption being we should post on Monday, right? So these kind of things just seep into the background, not ahead of the fact, but when you look back and that's where the sort of ground comes from. And at this point, there's, there, there is uh, not an expectation on our part, but there's an expectation if, if, if an article didn't come out this week, there's, you know, members of the community say, hey, what happened? Where is it? When they see my 12, word posting on Monday. They're going to say, Whoa, uh, okay. Right, so that's what I mean by expectation. I don't mean ahead of the fact, you know, uh, that we're planning it. I'm saying that um, you, can't, you can't do something regularly without it creating ground. And by its nature then, if, if you know, if you're not paying attention to the, to the kind of creative edge of the thing, that little bit of ground becomes structure. And then it does become a memo, right, over time. When you were speaking, A.M., I kept thinking about how I have always looked back and realized how I ritualized and created structure within a seemingly unstructured life of constant travel. I have certain things that I do everywhere I go. And if I've ever been anywhere, I already have that like rituals and tradition to lean on. And in fact, sometimes when I'm going to a city now that I've been to many, many times, I have to pick a different hotel. Because if I go to Paris and I stay in the same hotel I've been staying in for the past 10 years, I have a built-in life and routine that I immediately undertake of which route I run, you know, uh, along the Seine or in the park, which order I go to things, where I'll grab my quick coffee, where, well, tea for me, but where I'll grab my quick, you know, run and go, where I can get quinoa on the go and run. And um, I have built in somehow, because I am a very structured person, a lot of structure mm -hmm. into a seemingly chaotic or unstructured life that gives me a lot of comfort, a, a sense of um, anchoring in a very chaotic world that I exist in. Uh, kind of a different vein in this conversation, but it works for me a lot. It's it's part of what I was pointing to in the last group conversation we had uh, last Thursday about those um, cliff dancers and how they kind of anchor in one point, right? And it becomes uh, you know that that kind of uh, ritualization, or in that case, you know, just an actual process, then frees them for actually exploring. And then sometimes they become, you know, not rituals, but 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 routines. And then it's like, yep, got to do that differently, right? Like commute, your daily commute. You know, people's doing people are listening out here. You got a daily commute. How often do you think about 
the route you're taking, right? It, it, it's no longer ritual. It's just this kind of set routine. You can bring awareness to it, but uh, the more you do the exact same thing over and over, the more it invites kind of automation and, and um, disinvites awareness, right? And so taking a different route to work, you know, uh, every now and again uh, forces you to be aware of the trip you're taking. Uh, so I can get that about, about cities, right? You just, you know, I land in Paris and this is what I do, right? I land in London, this is what I do. And uh, yeah. Or I walk into the Met and I go left and I start with Greek antiquities and work my way around. At least every third time I start and go right just to change the order in which I see things. I'm, I'm really trying to find a connecting point to this because I always do everything differently. I commute a different route every time I go. Um, even though I've had the same commute for 14 years because I go the route that makes the most sense on the day I'm driving, right? So I think I, the way that I engage with the world, right? I post on Mondays because my recollection is we did decide to post on Mondays. Otherwise, I really wouldn't care what day that we post. And I would do it based upon if Monday was inconvenient, I would do it the next day. But we had talked about certain structures. And I remember when we were talking about making this together. You'd get the memo. Well, <laughs> I, I got that memo, right? So about certain aspects of it. And, I, and I, that notion of the structure, I remember at the beginning even talking about, like, I want to make sure I can mm -hmm. commit to the structure because I'm an incredibly unstructured person yeah. just by my nature, right? I really don't follow very many structures and then have to think about the structures of others. Yeah. And then how do I connect to structured people, right? And so my structures wind up becoming uh, in part um, about interacting interacting with structured people because mm -hmm. left to my own devices without dealing with structured people i would do everything different every day yeah. very very comfortably like i don't um and 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 in many ways even i think this ties to you know we laughed about me having 54,000 emails in my inbox and things like that like that that doesn't bother me to have 54,000 emails in my inbox and knowing what they are. And then I just recently purged them without reading them. And that also didn't bother me, right? So it's like, okay, yeah, I guess if there's something in there that I'm meant to have, it will wind up finding me again. Mm. So um, I'm not saying I don't have any routines, but there are very few of them. And they are, um, the, the pursuit of that kind of routine or heuristic is like hard for me to get to, but it's necessary when engaging with others. So you get in your car, so you, you know, you're teaching every week, right? Same day. So you get in your car, you take a different route every time. How do you decide what route to take? Uh, where there's less traffic. Your structure is you get in your car, you plug in the destination, you look at which route has uh, the least traffic, you take that route. Yes. That's your ritual. Yeah. Right. 
So get in the car. First thing I do is I check Google Maps or Waves or whatever you use to see what the path of least resistance is this week, which is a meaningful structure given where you're commuting to and the high, high, high degree of ambiguity and variability on traffic patterns. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, versus the suburban, you know, um, the commute the commute I do, it's like almost always uh, pretty clean sailing. Right. And so that's not part of the structure. I think it's tough to get through a day without having those things ritualized, right? Whatever that ritual is, whether it's I check this to then decide or I just do this automatically, it, either way, it still is ritualized or routinized, right? Because it's the first thing I do when, right? So first thing I do when I get in the car is either if it's just a, my usual commute is I just, you know, I put on the, the podcast I listen to or, you know, open clubhouse or whatever it is, and I just follow my path, right? Or the first thing I do is I look at my Google Maps or the first thing I do is, you know, whatever. Tell no, my driver sense. to get moving. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't articulate that it that way, but up. yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I could I could mm-hmm. embrace that as a notion. Um, but I also sometimes don't and sometimes find myself at a point of distinction in my drive where that decision really matters mm. putting my google maps on when i have a mile before the split right and i'm like oh shit i didn't put on the gps i now have to figure out whether i'm going through jersey or i'm going over the tappan z right right and right. sometimes am in the wrong lane when yeah. the gps kicks and wind up going the wrong way because i didn't do it yeah <laughs> right so i get you yeah. except Sometimes I don't even do that. Yep. Right. Yep. So, so it's, I like to do that. That's the better part of valor to do that, but it's not necessarily a consistency mm-hmm. and it's not to, it, in some ways I think, it, you know, life would be better if I wasn't on the fly driving 55, 60 miles an hour, putting on my GPS, trying to beat the split of 17 and 19 and, and, and 87. Um, but if I'm in my head, I don't. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess the, the, the distinction I was, I was kind of driving at, and let me make it kind of overt, um, was uh, um, the distinction was, was you know, a routine versus ritual, right? Uh, maybe it's, it's the clean way to say it here. And, and, and in my article, which I believe you've read at this point, um, <laughs> I referred to it as script, right? And, and so... Um, the, the, the thing for me to, to, to be you know, cautious of is scripts, right? Uh, the routines, the things where I'm just like on autopilot, like whether it's my commute or I land and I, I walk into the mat and I turn left and, and they become ways in which I, I can kind of lose the magic of the moment or the, or the, 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 the line of sight to possibility or, you know. And then in, in uh, transition periods, right, significant transitions, on certain transitions, I can lean too heavily on those routines and keep trying to do the thing that works, right? Organizations do this all the time. You know, when, when faced with ambiguity, do more of what works. Invest more in what works, right? Even if, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's process-oriented, right? Uh, things like change management, which, you know, decades of, of, of abysmal track record uh, um, on, on change management efforts, large scale. But ritual in the context of uncertainty, in the context of, of uh, uh, tr- you know, kind of large transitions, uncertain transitions, I find to be very useful, right? And so rituals aren't a script. They're not, you know, I do A and then I do B and then I do C and then I do D, 
rituals are are a form of they're still you know on the outside they may look the same they're still they're forms of behavior but by their nature they're designed to be highly intentional and 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 aware behavior right and so the, the kind of easy examples are, are are spiritual rituals and so the marriage ceremony or the christening ceremony or you know whatever you want to take right those can become routinized and some of them are right where it's just you're going through the steps and it's you know but the intention of that is to go through these very prescribed steps to heighten awareness of what's what what actually is happening here in terms of this massive transition in your lives right and so so you know we're a culture absent ritual um in in a meaningful way and certainly absent sacred rituals and it's one of the things that I think makes um, uncertain transitions, which what the fuck has, is there in the world the last 20 years and the next 50 years other than uncertain transitions um, daily and weekly and monthly. Um, yay, COVID's over. Ooh, shit, World War III. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just endless, right? Um, and in a society that doesn't have rituals, uh, you know, again, uh, seemingly mechanistic ways to, to, to cultivate deep awareness and, and presence around the transition, um, it gets ugly. And it is ugly. Yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this because I think for me, I zoom out. I think ritual is one of a variety of different ways to engage there. And I think for some people, Ritual is a, um, an approach uh, or a practice that is less accessible to others, right? So I'm a fan of ritual if ritual aligns with the manner in which one recognizes that moving out of execution mode into exploration mode at points of transition, it can be ritual, it can be more knee-jerk than that, right? For some people who don't have a process or a ritual to engage with. What I do think uh, I'd like a lot about what you just said is that for a society or for societies without agreed upon ritual, right, then people can become very, very disoriented. And so now the opportunity or burden of, of, of finding one's own rituals or finding one's own approaches or processes, whatever they are and however they are um, in alignment with them, um, that burden and opportunity becomes more on the individual and the communities that the individual creates rather than a reliance on the culture to suggest how those things are done, right? So if you go back X number of years, uh, the manner in which people partner was marriage done in a certain way, right? And now the manner in which people partner, there are a variety of different choices that didn't exist culturally before. And as a result, now an individual couple or more than a couple or however it is are now having to engage with one another in a deeper conversation about what it means to partner and that can be ritualized but also there is so much ambiguity and such a breadth of choices at that point that even ritual depending upon what the rituals are may fall short of the exploration that needs to happen 
in order to even understand what the locus of possibilities are for how one partners at a time when there is no external guidance for what partnership is. Yeah, so I think that that for me collapses uh, the distinctions between ritual and and uh, routine, right? So, so the way I hear you speaking about marriage, there is the routine understand of, ma- of marriage, and I agree with you. It's it's it, it doesn't have um, it doesn't have relevance, uh, 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 you know, uh, potentially that extreme. It doesn't have relevance anymore, right? Um, I'm talking about the access point to exploring exactly what you're exploring what partnership is, right? That um, we, you know, uh, and so the term marriage is problematic because it has become routinized, right? Um, but the purpose that that thing serves when it, you know, that, that ritual serves when it is ritual uh, is meaningful. So, uh, you know, it's down in DC, so I'll give you a, a different example. Around death. Um, I've done in DC last week is the one year anniversary of my father's passing. For us, we do a ceremony uh, you know, at the passing and then at the three month mark and then at the one year mark, right? And it's this Hindu thing and it's just, it's long and it's just lots of words and there's, you know, and as the oldest son, or in my case, the only son, um, I'm the one performing the ceremony. And so I'm like doing all this Sanskrit and all this stuff. And on one level, you know, it's mechanistic, it's, it's, it's routinized, right? But what it's designed to do is to uh, give you a process to engage with. And one of the beautiful things about Hindu processes is that they are so convoluted and complex and opaque because of the language that you almost can't get lost in the um, routinized version of it, right? It just forces you into this kind of... Um, space of unknowing and and then finding what the transition point is for you you here you know and my mother after the ceremony she was you know kind of very emotional she said i i feel like now i can let him go right none of us understood an effing word that was said for that hour and 30 minutes none of us right and this dude is like rapid fire in Sanskrit. I have to repeat it. I have to try to catch what he's saying and phonetically repeat what he's saying. I don't know what, there's flowers and there's rice and there's black cinnamon seeds and or black sesame seeds. And the, I mean, there's like all, the, right? it's all just like makes no sense. But that ritual creates an opening in which we can process what we can't process otherwise, right? That's what I mean by ritual. And then it does collapse into marriage in the 20th century. And it's like, how the hell is that relevant anymore? And how does it, you know, uh, allow for all the various forms of expression that were, that were always there, that we're now acknowledging and, and, and validating, right? Totally agree with you there, right? But for me, ritual isn't that, you know, kind of, um, it's not the structured, understandable part. It's the opening up the space in which one can explore what's unexplorable otherwise. And th- that's what I mean when I say we've lost ritual. None of that, even, even in marriage, it, it, it exists as process most of the time. It doesn't exist as ritual. I'm as deeply vested in ritual as I am in um, routine. I, both play a key role in my life, and I think the challenge with rituals is to keep them from becoming a routine. To keep that, um, the open inquiry that can follow from a ritual, like it's, it's similar for me, I, I have spaces in the world, I call them happy places, that are places where I think really well. I just feel open to the world, and I, I have a, one in almost every city. And if I go up there and I get on my phone, that 
has then collapsed from a ritual to a routine. Now, if I go to that place just because I'm supposed to, just because I know, but then I don't engage in the practice I've created when I'm in those places, that's a routine and not a ritual. Same thing with museums. They can very quickly and very easily become a routine to walk into a space you've been in before and just move through, you know, walk through time. And so my whole article last month on representing was one of my rituals of how I keep museums and art fresh for me and not becoming a, oh, there's that work again. Oh, great to see you. So check, Dolly, check. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Take the photo, move on to the next. And so preserving that ritual in my life is essential for me, for my happiness, for my mental health. And so I am very aware when my routines or when my rituals collapse into routines and I fight very hard to protect against the two because I am so routine oriented, but my, perhaps my Catholic upbringing, my rituals really matter to me. For as long as we've been on the planet, you know, before we had language, we had rituals, you know, we'd we'd collect rocks together to put on top of a thing, right? We'd have, like, we just, before we had anything else structurally, we had rituals because they they provide this kind of space of, of, of engagement. Um, And again, 20th century, we, 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 uh, you know, slowly started dismantling ritual in, in favor of process. And I think it makes these transitions very hard. You know, there's no space I can go to, to your point, right? I can only go to process. I can only go to, if you look at the self-help industry, right? It's, what is it? It's, it's, it's process. It's routine. It's, you know, do, do these 10 things for 10 weeks and you'll get to wherever, you know? There's no invitation to um, this other form of engagement. For me, isn't helpful in terms of how to think about uncertain transitions for, for sure, because I definitely wouldn't be like, oh, I'm facing an untra- uncertain transition. Um, how might I engage with ritual or routine to do so? Neither would um, become, you know, kind of practically helpful to me. And I think I live my life very much in that place of like, what would be practically helpful to me? And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that others should live their life that way, but that tends to be where my mind goes for things. Yeah. The sentiment was that absent places of, 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 of access that ritual provides makes uncertain transitions very difficult. Right? I have a third R. Um, you know, I, I see folks approaching things ritualistically. I see them approaching things um, uh, root, you know, in a routine routinely, and I see them approaching things randomly, where it's like every time is the first time. That probably resonates for me yeah. much more. The third R probably resonates much more for me. For me, the ritual is a, actually connects deeply in my life to your work because rituals, when I do them right, open up exploratory space. There is no greater invitation to inquiry for me than when I do a ritual and it to AM's point earlier, it, it doesn't involve a thing necessarily. It doesn't have to involve anywhere one else. It's about a state of mind. I mean, I know that like we've talked about certain like mantras and sayings and quotes that really ground us and like open your heart for for prayer or for thinking or for reflection. I would call that a ritual. You know, pulling that quote to mind because take me where you want me to go, you know, that 
elicits something in me that opens up a space for inquiry, that is in its own way a ritual, just as much as AM's tea ritual can be, even though it involves no one else and may only happen in my head. You know, certainly gorgeous places are great places that can open up that space of inquiry, museums, cathedrals, you know, scenic views, all of those things, but they can happen in a boardroom anywhere if we just kind of close our eyes and presence ourselves. And having some ritual to ground ourselves in chaos, I, I do think can be comforting during uncertainty and open up the space for inquiry for, for, for your work, Joan, in fact. Yeah, this is so interesting. I really am enjoying this conversation because it's making me think about um, these things in a different way. And um, again, it may be the language. And it, even what you just said, Rebecca, it's very, very interesting because um, one of the places that I gravitate in my spiritual life is into um, Eastern Orthodox tradition, and in particular, the Philokalia, which is a um, set of writings by really monks from, you know, the year 300 through maybe 1300 or whatever. It's collected writings of these monks. And I've never been in an Eastern Orthodox church. I've never spoken to an Eastern Orthodox person. But this particular uh, five volumes of, of writings had been something that I've been, you know, reading for probably seven or eight years now. I, I don't really know time very well. But one of the premises of Eastern Orthodoxy, among others, and uh, is uh, this notion of the Jesus prayer but the Jesus prayer said so frequently that it says itself in you. And so the notion is that you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it so that you're actually not presencing yourself. It's that it is just present, right? And that it is less about taking, you know, having the moment that you engage it, but that it is effectively constantly engaging you. And I think there's something about that being resonant to me as opposed to a process or a ritual, right? Again, and I know you just think I'm not, you know, putting them, you know, together. It's more for people who are listening because different, different people use different words for thinking. But I suspect that the same part of me that doesn't, make myself present for a ritual is the same part of me that really gravitated to the notion of I really want the ritual to be done to me as opposed to me engaging in the ritual. And I would, I would embrace a ritual, I think, if there was one that I was drawn to. I have a ritual to prepare myself for this mm. ritual of trying to go to the Yale University Art Gallery the day before and really get into my own head and my own heart. Mm -hmm. And I go into the museum and I do my rituals there and then I go for a walk around the campus mm -hmm. and like breathe it in, take in nature, look at the architecture, think about higher institutions, you know, all of these things. So I have my own kind of grounding practice in preparing for this ritual. Yeah, I heard you say, I don't have ritual. For me, ritual is not something you have, right? 
routine is something you have. And on the surface, when people look at you doing it, it looks like, oh, he's making a cup of tea. Oh, she's going to the museum, right? That's what it looks like. But the ritual is how I'm engaging with it. And so it's not something I have. It's something I experience by virtue of how I engage with this thing that goes on that looks like routine, looks like process. I mean, I think this conversation's really fascinating. It's resonating for me on a lot of levels with other things you know, we're thinking about and talking about how there, the spirituality of the spiritual element of ritual is really key for me. Um, that's where it gets separate from routine. And it is, it's a mindset. It's about how you engage because I can, I can go through a museum routinely. I catch myself doing it sometimes and I really, I have to stop myself because it's really easy, especially one I've been in many times to just, you know, perfunctory, do the routine, beautiful places that you go, you know, um, mass. If you, you know, I go to Catholic mass and when you do, it's, it's full of rituals that can become routine if you're not present to them. And so it just sort of goes back to what we were talking about last month, representing, um, in every way and everything, really being there, being open, being available, being deeply engaged. And I think we can we can bring ritual in terms of engagement to anything we do if we really want to. It just takes that sort of desire and, and practice. I, I think it's beautiful what you're saying. I think it's beautiful that you both engage with the world in that way. I just don't, it doesn't compute. Like it just doesn't compute in my mind or in my experience. So, and, and I clearly value it, right? Because in my work, I invite people and use ritualistic language, by the way, at the point of inflection of an uncertain transition and invite them to put everything on the altar, right? Is the language that I use in my work, right? And it's this, uh, the premise of that particular part of the work is that when we move from a routine or a process that was working for us in, in the language that I use is when we move from execution, right? So you sign a contract in, to be a, uh, on a tenure line as a professor, which is my field, right? Well, now you're moving into a period of execution because you know you have to do X number of things and write X number of papers or do whatever it is in order to uh, achieve this tenure or be fired from your position, right? So this is a very particular career-wise that, that is a process-oriented thing that you're going to do. You have a variety of different ways you can do it within that, but you know kind of where you're headed and, and what's expected of you. Uh, there's a built-in disruption in that particular process because you either get tenure or you don't, right? So one way or the other, there is a built-in at the end of that execution um, point of inflection that now will be a point of exploration. Either you get the tenure and now, you know, who am I as a tenured professor and now what do I do? Do I keep researching the same way? Do I keep, or I didn't get tenure and now where do I go and what do I do? So there's this built-in point of inflection. And the notion of that not just being a decision of what to do next or a pivot to make and uh, the importance or the invitation to open up a space for a, an inquiry that is not just the inquiry of what to do next, but an inquiry of every aspect 
of one's life at that point of inflection um, that I call putting everything on the altar. Uh, and I even write about that people get surprised when, when I say that I put my 25-year marriage on the altar every time I do those sorts of things, right? So I'm, I'm married to a person who's my best friend, who I am very, very happy to be married to. And I put that on the altar and that moment to say, A, to remind myself that I could leave him if I want to, right? I am not in this relationship uh, as a victim to it, right? I have full choice to do it. But then also to recommit to it, if that's something that I do, or to recommit to the relationship, but to renegotiate the way that it exists in my world, right? So that's very process-oriented on the one hand. It's ritualistic language, you know, in terms of alter. And it is an invitation to inquiry, right? So I guess it's all a ritual, but I just don't maybe know enough about ritual to, to understand what that is. I think I'm lost in the language of it and lost in the process of where this conversation is going. So it's something that I need to think more about when, when I'm, you know, in a different space, I think, than to uh, try to suss it out in the moment. It's the ritual being the mindset, not the behavior. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the distinction. Thank you for spending some time with us in this conversation. If you have any comments on what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you. The best way to do that is on Clubhouse. We run a live social audio conversation on Thursdays at noon Eastern time. Visit us at ajar.substack.com for a link to that Clubhouse room, as well as all of the Ajar articles and information on upcoming events.